Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. Before we get into a great message from Pastor Kevin today, we want to let you know if you would like to give to what God is doing here in Cersei, you can go online to newlifechurch.tv slash giving. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at NLC Cersei. During this time of self-isolation and quarantine due to COVID-19, we're having services online. You can join us Sunday mornings at 1030 on Facebook and YouTube or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Now, let's prepare our hearts to hear a great message from Pastor Kevin. Okay, so tonight, if you're following me, I am going to take us to the book of John. And as I've said many times before, John is one of my favorite authors. He, he's got his heart on his sleeve. He loved Christ. I, I feel like he was deeply hurt at the loss of Christ, at least in his day-to-day walk. His book is so rich and so good. And so tonight, if you're following, I want you to go to John chapter 20. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture that we have read our entire lives. But there's one particular spot in here that I want to focus on that is so bizarre or different. It just kind of jumps out at at you. You may um, get it when I'm reading this, but I'm going to start with verse 11. I'm going to read from the NIV. This is what it says. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And she says, They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. And in verse 14 it says, At this she turned around, and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. In verse 15, he says the same question that that the angels ask. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Now watch this. Thinking he was the gardener, she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned around and cried out, Teacher, she went to. I always have thought this was a unique passage of Scripture. Number one, it's very personal. It tells us about those first moments where she goes into the the tomb to find him and take care of his body and discovers that he's gone and how heartbroken she is. The second big thing here is that he's right there and she doesn't recognize. She thinks he's the gardener for some very strange reason. So let me back up and do a little theology here, okay? There are several ways or tools to study Scripture. One of those is called the principle of first mention, okay? And this tool basically allows you to take a word and then look at the very first time that word is ever mentioned in Scripture, and see if there's a powerful connection, okay? Let me give you an example of that. So the first time love is mentioned in John's gospel is in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You won't find it in the first two chapters, the first 15 verses of chapter 3. This is its first mention. But then if you take that word love that he mentions in John 3.16, and you say to yourself, when is the first time 
love is ever mentioned in Scripture? Well, it goes back to Genesis chapter 22. And it's when God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, who you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. Obviously a powerful connection. And so John is trying to get the reader to see that there's something big between Abraham and his only son and God and his only son. So he wants his reader to understand the connection here between a verse that they would very well know in talking about their father Abraham and now the person of Jesus. So it's very intentional, this leading, this first mention. Now, with this in mind, let's talk about Mary not recognizing Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. So weird, isn't it? To think that a woman who heard his voice, even when he spoke to her, when he said her name, Mary, she then knew him. But she didn't realize it was him at first. And we, we can go a lot of different directions with that. Well, she's so depressed and anxious and distracted that she didn't even realize it was the Lord. Well, let's look at that first mention again. In Genesis chapter 2, God has his people in a garden. And you know how all of that plays out. But it was a special place, a consecrated place. He, we know very special things happened there. He talked to them. He walked with them. He, he mentored them. He was telling them things about life that were very, very special to those, those first human beings. What happens to this garden and to these people? Well, they obviously decided to live outside of God's will for them, the way that he made life for them. They lose their way. Temptation enters. They fall into sin. They lose their place in the garden. And paradise is lost. So now if we go back to the book of John, he tells us again Jesus was buried in a garden and then is mistaken for the gardener. Surely, something else is going on here. So when we look at this principle of first mention, these Abraham and his son, and now God and his son, and now this fallen garden, and now another garden revealing itself, well, I believe once again he's trying to connect two very powerful points. He wants us to see the connection between the Garden of Eden and Jesus being raised from the dead in a garden. I think that the correlation here is he's trying to show that that which was once fallen and done and dead and broken is now resurrected and now full of life again. Suddenly there's hope. Thousands upon thousands of years later, these two points connect like one story with just the separation of one page turned. The stage is set for what theologians call the second Adam. A new Adam is on the scene and he's making things right and in many ways reversing what happened or even restoring what happened in the original garden. Jesus is entering our culture, our garden, our situation, our world, our mistakes are being raised from the dead in the midst of all of this chaos. 
Well, I believe that Jesus was God's way of saying, I have not given up on you, and I have not given up on my will for mankind. There's a lot of time that passed between the Garden of Eden and this Savior being found in a garden unrecognizable. But let me ask a big question, a serious question for a lot of you that may, may be watching or just joining in. Have you ever mistaken Jesus as someone else? Has he ever been right next to you and you not even know it? Has he ever talked to you and you didn't know his voice at first? Maybe he spoke to you through someone else or even something else. Let me give you a few biblical examples of what this might have looked like. We know Jacob and the story of Jacob. There's actually what we call his story, his famous story, Jacob's Ladder. But after he wakes up from that dream, he makes this incredible story, or this incredible statement, rather. He says, this is the house of the Lord, and I didn't even know it. Very similar to Mary's statement. Here he was right in the middle of God's will, right in the middle of being spoken to by God. Didn't even know it. Didn't recognize it. You know, God tells Abraham, he and Sarah are having an argument one day. I know that never happens to you in your marriage. But Abraham and Sarah are having a talk, and Abraham's arguing, arguing, trying to drive his point. And finally, God steps in, and he basically says this, you better listen to the voice of your wife. So Sarah was basically communicating God's will to Abraham, and Abraham could not detect it. In one way, could you say... Abraham thought she was the gardener. He missed it. Here's an even better one. After David sins with Bathsheba, Nathan comes to on, on the scene and he tells the king a story. And he says, this poor man had one sheep. It was a rich man. He had many, many sheep. And the rich man goes and steals the one lamb that David is enraged. And he asks Nathan, where is this man? I'll, I'll make sure that this is handled. And Nathan says, it's you, king. You're the one that, that did this. You could have had anybody you wanted, but you went and you took the one lamb that didn't belong to you. It's an amazing story, but as he's listening to this, he doesn't even detect that it's the voice of the Lord talking to him. He thought Nathan was the gardener. One gospel tells us that the disciples even see Christ walking upon the water and they think he's a ghost. They don't recognize him. They think he's the gardener. You know, I think this happens in my life or your life and it might come across this way where we make statements like we hear a great message or a great word and we say, man, I wish my wife could have heard this. or Man, I wish my brother would have heard this. And the truth is, it's a word for you. You should have heard it. But you hear that voice, and you think it's the gardener. Well, you know what? I've done this my whole life. You have too. Specific days when I'm not in touch spiritually with what's going on around me, and just going through life like cruise control is on, and I'm going through all the motions that I need to, to go through, and my life's kind of in autopilot just not being sensitive 
uh, even months or seasons where I'm asking God, speak to me, speak to me. And he already has. But I've perceived him to be the gardener. Um, so Kevin, what do we do with this? Well, very simple application here. I think the first thing is that we need to know that there is something very intentional happening in our lives. That your life is not just a bunch of days stacked on top of each other, but the hand of God is woven into our existence. Um, I heard one theologian speak one time, and he said, the thumbprint of God is on you. Everything else was spoken into existence, but when it came to you, his hand was on you. He left his DNA on, on your existence. Um, that's what's been going on with us something very intentional, something very purposeful. So maybe you're listening tonight and you've kind of lost uh, grasp on that. You just don't think God's involved in your life. Well, I would beg to differ that because I have to believe that behind the scenes, somewhere in the deepest recesses of who you are, there is something very intentional being planned. The work of the cross so good and so rich. I don't think we're ever going to discover everything it means to us in this life. I believe what started 2,000 years ago is continuing to be rolled out and unveiled even now and to the generations that will follow us. Here's why. This is my second thing and I'm going to end with this. The resurrection is a person. It's not an event. You know, as Christians, we build Easter up, and it should. We should give honor to that and celebrate it. But Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection. He was trying to say that what's, hap what's going to happen and what's going to unfold for you, keep in mind that it's not just an event. It's not something that happens between sunrise and sunset. But I am the resurrection. And that same spirit that resurrected him lives in us and so it means that the resurrection is in us so how does that play out well it forces me to believe that there are going to be things in me that I think are dead that are not there are going to be things in me that I think should end that in God's will are not going to end that he's going to breathe life into, into areas of our lives and restore them and bring them back just like the correlation between the Garden of Eden and now this story found in John there's going to be some things that come back around and I hope that's hope for some of you that your marriage come back, comes back around that part of you that's so sad and can't seem to find joy in anything anymore comes back around and God restores joy to your life so when we celebrate Easter, we're not celebrating a specific scene, but we're celebrating a Savior, even a Savior who can save us from ourselves, from our own demise, from our own past, because the resurrection is a person, it's not an event. So I want to pray over you tonight, maybe as you're sitting there could take communion together as a family or just grab hands with each other. I want to pray over this, this message right now. God, I thank you that you're doing something very intentional for us, 
very purposeful, even when we can't see it, when we don't recognize it, when we hear your voice and we think you're the gardener. God, I pray tonight that you would reveal yourself. Call our name as you did Mary. Your voice tells us that, um, or your word tells us that your sheep will know your voice. And I believe that tonight. So if you'll speak to us, God, we want to hear what you have to say. And I pray that you would restore. And I pray that you would resurrect things in our lives that we've given up on. Maybe we've given up on a friendship or a child or a marriage even the potential of our own lives. God, that you would resurrect that in us again and that we can go on living a life full of purpose. So, thank you for our church. Thank you for the sweetness of this moment. Thank you for the ways that you're growing us through this pandemic, teaching us to trust you. We love you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.